Welcome to Tethered, where we have conversations connecting faith and culture. I'm Mark Dean, filling in this week for our host, Bill Falk, and we love telling the big story about God and how our stories fit into God's big story. Ray Boltz, a long time ago, recorded a song about David with the chorus, when others see a shepherd boy, God sees a king. And so as you look at a child or a college student along the way, do you have any idea at all the journey that God has for them ahead? You know, I learned of our amazing guest some 24 years ago when uh, she was off at college and uh, I was called to be the pastor of the church where her parents attend. Her parents are a pastor's dream. And uh, dear, dear uh, friends, our guest today is Holly Girth, a Wall Street Journal bestselling author, licensed counselor, life coach, blogger, podcaster, conference speaker. And I was telling Holly that this is my very first podcast to host, and she's the experienced one, so she's going to help along the way. Holly's books include uh, You Are Going to Be Okay, which about six months ago, one of our members told us that they were not okay. And they walked into a bookstore and saw the title and they said, that's what I need. And then they saw the author and, and said that uh, God just ministered that to them tremendously through Holly's work. She's also written, uh, you are loved no matter what, fierce hearted, the powerful purpose of introverts, why the world needs you to be you. And, and just recently, what, with less than a month, I guess it, it just recently came out, uh, What Your Soul Needs for Stressful Times, 60 Powerful Truths to Protect Your Peace. Welcome to Tethered, Holly. We're glad Thank you're here. Thank you, Mark. I'm so glad to be with y'all. Feels like coming home. That's right. That's yeah. right. How does it feel to be Feels home? good. Yeah, this is a church I went to youth group in. And oh, wow. So, yeah. And we are great. very proud of our, our kids that grow up. And that's the thing, you're, you're always our child, but, but we're so proud of, of just all that God is uh, doing in, in your work. So I, I was in, had a conversation with Bill yesterday, and we were sitting in the, just the, the waiting room out, outside of, of ICU, and, and his mind was just going off, and he, he was thinking, he said, I wonder what that neurosurgeon, what he was doing the night before surgery. You know, was he there with his preschooler telling him for the fifth time, you know, <laughs> I have brain surgery in the morning. You need to go to bed right now. And then he was going, I wonder when he was nine years old, yeah. uh, what was he doing? Was he like Ben Carson underneath the table with the lights off, closed eyes, tying knots? So what was Holly Armstrong Girth doing when she was nine years old? I was catching a lot of turtles. Catching turtles. Yes. We lived in Quail Valley where there was a golf course and I had a best friend named Cody and our favorite pastime was to walk around the golf course ponds and catch little turtles and oh, bring wow. them home, which thankfully my parents let me do. We had a little kiddie pool on the back patio and filled that thing up with turtles. So, oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. So did you ride any at that time? I did. I also spent a lot of time reading in trees or on the fort in our backyard and writing. I had this huge red binder that I filled up with poetry when I was supposed to be doing things like paying attention in science class, wow. but uh, thankfully that paid off. So yes, my mom has my first book that I wrote when I was five. Wow, wow. <laughs> so I always dreamed of being a writer, so yeah. I'm really grateful God let that dream come true. Oh, that, that is amazing in there. So I, I know that you're named after your grandfather. Yes. And he owned a Christian bookstore. He did. I, so I've heard this story. Is this true where you would go and read all the cards? 
Yes, I would. I would stand in front of the card rack for hours in his store or at the grocery store. When my mom would go to get groceries, I'd stand there and read cards okay. <laughs> or at his store too, big stacks of books. I'd take him to the back room during the day or haul him home to his house at night and try to read as many as I could before we went home. Wow. So that was definitely something God used to shape who I would be in the future. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. So what was your first card that you wrote? Gosh, my very first one, I became an intern for Dayspring which is the Christian subsidiary of Hallmark my freshman year of college okay. so over Christmas break the Dayspring sales rep went to visit my grandparents store and wow. my Nana said I have a granddaughter who wants to be a writer can she send you some things and I wrote some over the break because who can resist a Nana the guy said yes not knowing anything about writing or that their acceptance rate was one percent wow and so I think that the first card I wrote was for my grandma it was a birthday card that I had written for her and I repurposed and sent that in with some other ideas and Dayspring actually bought some wow. and then I became their very first intern in any department. Wow. And when I went to college at University of Arkansas, I didn't realize they were 30 minutes down the road. Mm -hmm. So obviously God's hand Absolutely. <laughs> did the impossible. Wow. I look back and it's one of those things where really there should have been no way all of that worked mm -hmm. out. But as we know, when God has a plan for us, he always makes a way. That's right. And so that was the start of my writing. You had your own line through day spring as well right? I did a yes a couple times in the early 2000s I had one called Heather and Holly with my best friend okay. <laughs> and then recently I've had two other card lines that are based on my writings heart to heart with Holly and then a new one so the new one is in Hobby Lobby right now if anybody wants to go looking all right, for it all right yep excellent <laughs> excellent so um I think I sent your mom a picture of when my mom was alive. My mom was a card writer, and uh, and we went down, and, and actually for the picture, I took every card off of the Hobby Lobby rack from your <laughs> line and put it in her hand. Oh, and so, I love but it. Uh, she would especially love uh, sending out your cards. And Thank all. you. So, was there a progression from card writer to book writer? Yes, definitely. I worked at Dayspring writing cards for about a decade before I started okay. writing books. And I think that was great training because. Card writing, you have to develop empathy. You have to always be asking not what do I want to say, mm. but what does someone else need to hear? Mm -hmm. Or what does someone else want to say mm -hmm. even? I had to write a lot for situations I'd never been in, you know, death of a spouse or mm -hmm. 50th birthday or, you know, different mm -hmm. things. And so you learn to put yourself in other people's shoes. Mm -hmm. And I think that is great training for a writer to mm -hmm. develop empathy. And then I had the gift of writing anonymously for a really long time. Uh -huh. And that is a lot less pressure. It's a good space to practice in. I got to be part of a supportive creative team. So I feel like God really grew me up as a writer right. at Dayspring. And then I started blogging in 2008 and got to launch a website called Encourage while I was still at Dayspring. So that was kind of in between mm -hmm. from cards to blogs, okay. which were a little longer. And then around 2010, I felt like God was calling me to step out and write books full time. Yeah. So he was very kind to me, letting me take one step. Take that progression. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you sense that... Um, had, had you not been that gradual, would would you have even gotten to that point? Did you feel vulnerable of, of just getting out there, 
writing a book and putting your name on it, I realized that all of a sudden you're out there then for everybody to critique and evaluate. And Yeah, you know. yeah, absolutely. I think anytime we put into the world something God has placed in our heart, you feel a level of vulnerability mm-hmm. and fear. And mm-hmm. I actually think that's healthy. I right. think fear just says, hey, this really matters. Right. We are not afraid about things that we don't care about. And so when creators, especially to say, I feel fear about this, I say, that's okay. It just means it matters. I right. imagine you still feel that when you preach sure. sermons on sure. Sunday morning yes. or, you know, for the people listening, if they show up as a teacher or whatever it is that God has invited them to do, I think that's always part of the process. So just knowing that's always going to be there, but we can step forward in faith anyway. And that sensitivity in, in, that, in the card writing, I, I see that in your work, in your, that, that comes out there. Um, so how do you decide what you're going to write? Well, uh, when I was at Dayspring, I actually would get assignments. So the marketing department would say, here's the need, here's the relationship between the two people. So that's how that worked. And then with books, I do a lot of praying and listening. And then usually there's a topic that just keeps popping up over and over again. Like when I'm reading God's word or having conversations with friends, even looking at other books or just living life, it's almost like there starts to be a divine highlighter uh-huh. <laughs> that starts calling out things over and over. Uh-huh. So I'll normally start writing first on my blog and exploring that. And then some things, they're just a few blog posts and it's done. But uh-huh. for others, it's like, there's a lot to say about this. I think this is my next book. Yeah. And so then I work in partnership with my publisher to figure out what we want to do with that idea. Uh-huh. But it's kind of a process of discovery. It doesn't feel like I make a decision. It feels like God has put something out there for me to find and I get to discover it and then it gets to turn into a book. So it's really fun. I always feel like I'm the first reader that I learn by writing. Yes. And I need to reread my own books a lot because I'm still (laughs) learning by, by that process. But that's how it feels like exploration and discovery it's a it's a discovery process even in the writing that you're going through of how it's going to turn out and all yeah i've never been able to outline a book (laughs) wow which technically you're supposed to yeah yeah. and i think that's comforting for me but also for people listening i think as humans we want the plan ahead of time we want to know the ending especially what's going to be on that final page and I think God tenderly invites us into a story we're all living. And we don't know enough to know the ending, but we know enough for the next page. Mm-hmm. And then the one after that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what trust and faith look like, you know? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you got to delete <laughs> what you wrote that day <laughs> and say, I don't think I got that right. Let me try it again. Right. And I think that's where grace comes in. And so it's comforting to me to think, you know, I'm not ultimately the author. Right. And there's wow. a story being written that's bigger than me. And as long as I have enough for the next word, the next day, the next page, that's okay. I'm going to be okay. That's exciting to hear. We had just a few weeks ago, we had a... Uh, Dr. Matthew Stanford uh, with um, the Hope and Healing Center, and and he was speaking on on mental health and, and yeah. really mental illness and and just how big this issue problem is and how um, you know how the church can actually do a, a better job. But on that very day, there was also the head of NAMI and and also a, a lady. Uh, that uh, does drama and, and with special needs, who's putting together a drama with uh, on mental health in February, and they were all talking about how they wanted to, mental health organizations wanted to tag on at the end of her drama. And so she's saying, um, Adrian was saying, it just seems like there's a great director here. 
that's directed us all to this one place. And that's amazing how God has seen God as that author too yeah. of, of the story yeah, that definitely. we have. So what are, what are the big lessons that he's taught you? Oh, goodness. <laughs> a lot. I feel like I'm still learning a lot every single day. And that's day. the great thing about it, isn't it? We, yeah. are, we are still how big God is yeah. and how incredible. Yeah. I think one I have to relearn all the time is it's okay to be imperfect. Mm. You know, it's okay to not yeah. be okay. Like you were talking about the mental health. I've yeah. struggled with anxiety and depression. That's yeah. part of my story. Yeah. And I used to feel shame about that or think, is my faith not strong enough? Is something wrong with me? Yeah. And I felt like one day God said, if you are on a battlefield and someone is firing at you, does that mean you're weak? And I thought, no, well, what does it mean? You're a warrior. And that was a real switch in my thinking yeah. that yeah. like all of us, whether we deal with depression or we're going through a challenge in life, facing a crisis, we have a family member going through something, like we tend to label ourselves by our circumstances mm -hmm. and say, I'm depressed, I'm defeated, I'm divorced. I'm a disappointment. And that is not who we are. It's where we are in the moment. Mm -hmm. We are warriors on a battlefield. And that means that we're going to be fighting until we go home. But that doesn't affect our identity. Right. And we don't have to fight perfectly because yeah. victory is already ours. And so I think that reminder that the biggest thing is just continuing to show up on the battlefield every uh -huh. day uh -huh. and saying, God, I'm going to do what I can. Now you make happen what you will. And letting go of the idea that it's all on us. I think that's one that I've learned and continue to need to yeah, learn every yeah. single day. I've become aware just of the stigma. So the stigma in regard, in some ways, you know, I've learned the stigma of special needs in regard to church where, oh, we're supposed to be perfect. So yeah. special needs, we need to not be here or you need to put them away, you know, outside. And and then even with mental health, you know, that that's, shouldn't be at all. But even the stigma with introverts, right? Yeah. There's, there's a little bit different, but there's a stigma in regard to that. So how did you move to write about uh, this book on introverts? Yeah, well, I didn't know that I was an introvert until college. I wish I had found out sooner, but I remember I was sitting on the carpet at a campus ministry meeting and they had a speaker talking about personality types and I heard the word introvert for the first time uh -huh. and it was a light bulb moment. I thought there are other people who engage with the world like uh -huh. I do and there are some benefits to this that I didn't know about. And yet, in spite of that, because we live in a culture that leans more extroverted, I told myself, especially when I started publishing books and speaking, okay, I have to be an extrovert now. Mm. Mm. And I said yes to everything and everyone and didn't honor who God made me in some ways and ended up on the brink of burnout. So I was the keynote at a, speak, at a conference on Saturday night and Sunday morning. I couldn't stop crying in the worship service. And I felt like God said, Holly, it's time to go home. And I knew he meant get on the plane, go home, take a long nap, because I certainly needed that. Mm -hmm. But even more, go home to who I created you to be. Like I designed wow. you just yeah. right for yeah. my purpose for your life. You don't need to be more like anyone but Jesus. Yeah. And so that was when I really started digging into like, okay, if I'm an introvert, if God made me this way on purpose, then how do I thrive in that? Right. And so I love brain science. I have, you know, a counseling degree. So I started digging into all the research and psychology. And the more I did, the more I really see God's hand in mm. creating introverts and extroverts. We're 
both needed. We're both complementary. We both have strengths. We both have struggles. And I truly believe we're better together. And so as I went through that process, I was able to lay down so many shoulds and have tos and expectations that God never placed on me and to really get free. And mm-hmm. so I wanted that for other introverts too. And that's really where the book came yeah. from. That's so important. That was one of the things I benefited from reading that of just looking at myself and, and like, I think you said 52, 58, depending on the surveys or introverts. And, yeah. and uh, I'm definitely an introvert as, as well. The thing that resonated with me was being okay with who God made you to yeah. be and not trying to be somebody else or because I can look at other pastors and yeah. other ministries and think, Oh, I should be like that or this, but I'm not, comfortable in that and and just the freedom of knowing this is the way God made and and that is a, a very positive very powerful yeah uh, to to know and to let others know and I love the research that you did in there and the studies of the, the about the mind and, and as I just think I, I was just think again how much we don't know but how incredible you know, even not only the human body, but the human mind is. Yeah. Anything you want to share about that? Yeah, well, it really is brain differences is what makes us introverts and extroverts. So two quick examples is extroverts prefer a neurotransmitter called dopamine, which works kind of like caffeine. It revs us up, prepares us for action. It's released when we have a lot coming at us from the outside. Mm -hmm. But introverts thrive more on one called acetylcholine that works more like herbal tea. You know, it's released when we get to turn inward, focus on one project, have a meaningful conversation with one person. And so that's why introverts and extroverts often prefer different environments. It really has nothing to do with people Mm -hmm. and has more to do with external stimulation and Mm -hmm. what is going on around us. And so that's a big aha. And then also our brain pathways that we use for processing. Extroverts use a shorter, faster one that's more focused on the present. That's why they're often great at that quick back and forth Mm -hmm. kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. And introverts use a longer, more complex pathway that takes into account the past, present, and future. So we may sometimes need a bit of time before we can respond, but when we do, we often add depth and insight Mm -hmm. and context, valuable things. So even with that, you can imagine in a meeting how an extrovert-introvert pairing would be helpful. So the extrovert's like, we need to take action. And the introvert says, let's think about this. And then the extrovert says, okay, we've thought about it. Let's go. And the introvert says, what are we going to put in place to follow up and make sure we're being intentional? You know, and so Mm -hmm. that complementary but there are actual differences and so knowing that to me again points to god's intentional design that this is something on purpose for a purpose yeah and we're all unique we're all amazing we're made in his image uh, for his honor and glory yeah absolutely beautiful so i I heard you say as well that shyness is not yeah introvert yeah those two get confused a lot but shyness has to do with fear so an extrovert can absolutely be shy Mm -hmm. But introversion is a preference for less stimulating environments. Mm -hmm. And so those are two very different things. So an introvert reading a book, you know, in a cafe is not being shy or Mm -hmm. withdrawn. Mm -hmm. They're just in their happy place. Mm -hmm. And an extrovert who walks up to the door of a party and says, oh, man, I'm so afraid of being rejected. I don't I don't think I can even go in. That's shyness. And so understanding that, I think especially for kids, I got told a lot, oh, you're shy mm-hmm, or you're so mm-hmm, quiet mm-hmm. or things like that. To not put that on introverts, especially kiddos, but instead say, okay, this person is probably just content. Mm-hmm. They're probably just observing or 
processing or something's going on in their inner world that they're working through that may turn into a book or a piece of art or you know a machine or whatever it is because we often contribute out of those spaces to the world mm -hmm. but yeah i think that's an important distinction shyness is not the same as introversion i love the story that you told about your mom and when she was in the hospital and and you you related it to you said if somebody told her and came in and said get over it uh you know you would be in their face right yeah. you'd be all over them but you related i believe to mental health did you yes not? i did and just that we tend to think okay you just need to get over this yeah and it's uh, a lot deeper yeah it is because there's also brain things going on in the context of depression anxiety things mm -hmm. like that and i think that often we are uncomfortable with hard emotions and hard situations and so we tell ourselves, I need to make this person feel better, but really we're trying to make ourselves feel better because mm -hmm. we feel awkward and we care and we don't know what to do. And so I think one of the biggest things we can do for each other is just to show up and be present mm. and willing to say, not get over this, but I will get into this with you. Mm -hmm. Like that's the model Jesus gives us, right? Mm -hmm. Like he didn't look down from heaven and say, you guys are a mess. You need to get over all right, this. Right. And he instead he said, no, I'm going to get into your world mm, to the point wow. that he came as a baby in a manger. That's right. And said, I will be in the mess with you. I will yeah. be in the darkness with you. Yeah. I will be in the places that you don't want to let mm. anyone into. I think that's the kind of God we serve. Yeah. And so just saying it's enough for us to show up and be there for each other and not say, get over it, but I'm in this with you. Yeah. That is powerful because yeah. it reflects the heart of God. Yeah. And that's what the body of Christ should be. Right? Yeah, Amen. absolutely. Was there a time that did you know going all the way as you as you wrote, did you realize or was there a time in the process that you realized that this is more than writing, it's a ministry? Yeah. Did you know that all along or? I think so in some sense. Uh -huh. I think I just always believed in the power of words. Yeah. You know, we serve a God who spoke the world into uh -huh. being for whatever reason. He didn't snap his fingers and do it. He didn't have the angels, you know, mm -hmm. executed on his behalf. He spoke. And I think that we still bring things into being. Our words are powerful. And Jesus himself is called the word, the living word. Uh -huh. And so I think that's why I see it as a ministry. If it were just Holly and her computer and a word document, no, yeah. it's not. Yeah. It's just black and white type. Mm -hmm. But if I believe that the creator of the universe, who spoke it into being the one who walked the world as the living word is inside of me, mm -hmm. then yes, it's a ministry. Yeah. And so is whatever he has called us to. Right. You know, that's yeah. not exclusive to creative people. It's the same for engineers and accountants and mamas and grandmas exactly. and mentors and teachers yeah. and you know, whatever God has placed within you to bring into the world. That's when beautiful. we do it through his spirit, it's powerful and it's holy. Yeah. So, and you, you come from, your parents are incredible ministers that uh, I can, I, I always felt bad about your mom because when, when I came, the church met at Elkins High School and her Sunday school class met in a hallway and every week of 20 chairs around there in a hallway sitting there with with her, with her teaching and uh, what a phenomenal teacher 
And that class is, is she just pastored those ladies that entire time. Then we moved to another building and I think she got into my office, you know, that was the best. And then we moved over here and she got into the office and I never could get her a classroom. I felt, and then your dad just rock solid, always quiet, but strong and, and present and, and, uh, just a strong faith and, and, uh, just very generous and supporting what God is doing. And I think I look back, and so I've been here 24 years, and I think there's only seven people from that time that are still around now. And, um, you know, your, your parents are very, very dear, just seeing the ministry. And then even Stephen, Stephen your brother, you know, yeah. of the, the ministry that he, that he has. And that's exciting to see. I know his parents, they, they have to feel that, uh, just that joy of, um, well, I know. I, I brag about my kids, and I learned it from your parents. Of, uh, <laughs> getting books or, or seeing uh, advertisements for um, what metalworks or, you know, <laughs> so, uh, and all that. How has God worked in your life? I mean, is there anything that uh, that was monumental for you? Yeah. Well, our family story. You know, you mentioned my parents, yeah. but we also have a daughter and grandkids now, and that came about in a way that I never would expect. Yeah. And yeah. And before I talk about that, I want to say I'm grateful for my parents too. I know I wouldn't be where I am and who I am without them. Yeah. All their prayers and modeling faithfulness and. And they're listening, so I have to be nice. That's right, and they're here. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true, so yes, I want to honor them also. But Mark and I got married and thought, okay, we'll start a family, and that didn't work the way we mm-hmm. hoped. And after about a decade of infertility, we went in a different direction. But that looked like walking through years of not understanding what God was doing, mm-hmm. wondering where he was, mm-hmm. a lot of tears, mm-hmm. uh, some anger and frustration, feeling yeah. isolated. And I think any time we have a goal or dream that's blocked, we feel that way. Mm-hmm. So I imagine a lot of people listening might have a situation in their life. Maybe right it's now. a yeah. job yeah. or something COVID related that has changed their normal or mm-hmm. even just not being able to be in a routine, whatever it is. And so gradually I felt like God showed me, you know, Eve is called the mother of all living in Genesis mm-hmm. and showed me all women are mamas. Yeah because all women bring life into the world in some way. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, maybe my way is just books. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then one night I saw a documentary about foster kids who age out of the system mm-hmm. and thought that is not okay. And it was one of wow. those turning points for me. And when people started asking me, have you thought about adoption? I started saying, well, if I adopt, it's gonna be a 20 year old. Wow. And one day I said that to a friend and she said, do you know about Saving Grace? And it turned out there's a transitional living home being built in our town for girls who age out of the foster system or would otherwise be homeless. So wow. I sent the founder an email and said, hey, I have this crazy dream. And uh-huh. she was like, me too. So I remember having a conversation and they were converting an old content, a convent that they had gotten. And we sat on coolers in the living room because there was no furniture yet and had this conversation about what God wanted to do. Uh-huh. And then life got busy and she invited me to a banquet a few years later. And that night the girls got a copy of my devotional, Opening the Door to Your God-Sized Dream. Okay. And I met a young woman named Lavelle. Uh-huh. And she got in touch a few days later and said my devotional was helping her. And I said, why don't we have lunch? And so I showed up at Saving Grace to have lunch with her. And she asked if we had kids and I gave her the short version. And at the end she said, well, you can just be my mom. Wow. And over the next few months, God made it clear that, yep, 
that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah. She met my husband. We started spending more time together. And she is now officially adopted as our daughter wow. legally. Yeah. She's now 28. Uh-huh. So that was seven years yeah. ago. Yeah. And she's married and has two kids. So we're not only parents, we are grandparents. We skipped a few steps (laughs) there. But, you know, I had this idea of how my life would unfold. Yeah. And that idea got interrupted. Right. And I am so grateful it did. Yes. And I think a lot of us, all of us, have had our lives Mm -hmm. interrupted again Uh in many ways (laughs) because of COVID and everything that's going on in our world. And... I think the hope that we can have as believers in those moments, as we talked about before, that God is writing the story. Mm -hmm. And just because it's not the plot we would have picked or pictured doesn't mean it's not still good. And so I would not trade my family I have now for anything. If someone said, Holly, here's a time machine. You can go back and have that baby you Uh prayed for Uh and cried for. I would say, no, thanks. Yeah. You know, God knew even better than I did the family that was supposed to be. Yeah. And so I think that really deepened my trust in just knowing there's Mm. something bigger than me at work here, someone bigger than me at work here. And I think that's the kind of hope we all need right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how redemptive that is. Is that often, do you hear other stories like like yours? No, I hardly ever do. Yeah. Every once in a while, maybe I've connected with a handful of people on social media uh-huh. who have said I adopted an older kid too, but uh-huh. I think it's a need that's so oh, yeah. overlooked. And oh, it, it doesn't, our story was that she became our legally adopted daughter, uh-huh. but she also had other people who just were in her life for a season. A counselor at school made a big difference. Sure. She had different mentors who would just take her out to lunch every once in a while or families who would say you can eat dinner with us which she hadn't really seen before so I think you know remembering those kiddos Mm -hmm. that other people might think don't need parents or parental figures in their lives anymore right but their hearts aren't full grown sure And so I think that's a group I feel passionate about serving. And Lavelle has taught me as much or more than we have the other way Isn't around. That the She's case? so yeah. resilient and brave and has a huge open heart in spite of all she's been through. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that it's rare, but I hope someday it won't be. Yeah. Because I think those kids and us, we all need each other. So was it, did I hear, was it Saving Grace? Yes. So is that an organization that actually promotes what you are doing, or is it some other ways they, they Yeah, work? it's still just in Northwest Arkansas, but they still have the home for uh-huh. the girls where uh-huh. I met Lavelle. Uh-huh. They usually have about a dozen at So they've come out of the system and they're gone into this home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Or they would otherwise be homeless in some way. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's... I'm not sure if there's something in this area, but if there is, they probably yeah. need mentors. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. Thank you for that. What book would you write if you could write anything? Well, <laughs> I'm not sure right now. Yeah. I did just turn in a manuscript for another devotional that will come out about a year from now called What Your Mind Needs for Anxious Moments. Okay. So my mom actually helped me edit that one. <laughs> she was at my house when I was in the editing phase, so All I read right. the whole thing All out right. loud to her, and she gave me great feedback. So. I think anxiety is something that we are all dealing with in some way, too. I know I still do. And so it's scriptural truth, but also practical tips about, Mm -hmm. like we were saying, mental health and what's really going on in those amazing brains that Mm -hmm. God gave us. And how do we say, okay, this is part of being human. 
but it doesn't have to be the boss of me. Yeah. So that'll be the next book that's yeah. coming out. Yeah. So your counseling degree, it, it comes right through your writing, right? Yes. That's the main reason I got it actually. And I did do private practice for a while, uh -huh. but ultimately I just thought if I'm writing in this space, then it would be really helpful to understand more. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm grateful that I got to do that. Yeah. God is so vast and so big, and there's. I love learning things because it, it just points us back to God again, yeah. right? Of being over it all. Absolutely. And, uh, Some people separate out science or psychology from faith, but yeah. I feel the opposite. When I read something like, here's how God designed the neurons in our minds, and that's yeah. why we can feel the emotions of other people when we look them in the eyes. Like, I have the same feeling I do when I'm standing at the edge of the ocean or looking at the Grand Canyon, yeah. like it's awe, you know, and worship. Right, I mean, right. I think about Psalm 139, 14, where mm -hmm. David says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully right. made. And I think when we look at who God made us, it doesn't lead to pride like we sometimes fear. It leads to praise. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I hope whenever I'm talking about who God made us in books like The Introvert One or my others, that that's the end result. Mm -hmm. That it's not just for us to look at ourselves and say, oh, good, maybe I'm okay after all. <laughs> it's to say, oh, wow, what a great God. Yeah. Only he could do this. That's right. That's right. Well, we appreciate you so much. And thank you for being with us. Any last words? Thank you for having me, oh. too. It's a gift. And I love this church and Aww. the people in it. So thank you for this conversation. Well, we love you. And we're always <laughs> uh, supporting you. And uh, our guest today on Tethered has been Holly Girth. And I encourage you especially to uh, pick up a copy of The Powerful Purpose of Introverts. Well, until uh, next time, you all be blessed. <laughs>